Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I am your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. It is Tuesday, which means it is Draft Deep Dives Day. So I am here today with my Draft Deep Dives co-host, my hashtag basketball colleague, my No Ceilings NBA colleague, Tyler Metcalf. Tyler, how are you doing this Tuesday afternoon? Nick, I'm great. It's the holiday season. Christmas is quickly approaching. The The drinks are flowing and get to talk basketball this evening. Uh, super excited. Certainly one thing that is flowing on the basketball court is Kendall Brown flowing to the rim. That was maybe the worst transition I've ever done, but <laughs> hey, you know, take what you can get. But today we are talking about your recent article for No Ceilings, so check that out if you haven't yet. And we're talking about probably the fastest rising draft prospect in the 2022 NBA draft class. And you highlighted a specific skill of his that I always love talking about. And I thought your article, your articles are always wonderful, but I thought this one was particularly oh. fascinating on the cutting of lottery prospect Kendall Brown. So what are your thoughts on what you've seen from Kendall Brown's cutting, despite my terrible transition to get us there? It's been a lot of fun. And the the thing with freshmen is that you don't always expect them to show off such a high level of feel and off-ball movement unless they're elite shooters. <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> um, but like when we talk about off-ball movement, it's always let's watch this 6'4 shooter just sprint around screens constantly like J.J. Redick or Clay Thompson does. And the the way that cutting is talked about i feel like so frequently gets undervalued but it's such an important skill with kendall brown when you combine his athleticism his size with his cutting it makes for an extremely efficient at rim finisher who just really can't be stopped on a consistent basis by defenses because he's his, his timing is always perfect with his cuts he knows when and where to move and then he has the explosiveness to get to the rim and beat everyone off the floor. And then once he has the strength that he's finishing through any contact that a late rotation um, comes with. So it's just a really valuable skill because I think we're kind of on the same page where we're a little more hesitant on the shooting. The outside shooting numbers are ridiculous at this point, but the volume is super low. So if he has a bad week, those that that percentage will plummet but the fact that he he already has this extraordinary skill and is proving that it's really effective in the half court offense and it's finding another way for him to score and put pressure on the rim that does absolute wonders for projecting his future offensive role if cutting isn't the most underrated skill in basketball it's certainly up there and i think the point that you brought up about shooting is really critical with Kendall Brown because yes, we have certainly talked many times about not buying in too much to incredibly low sample size, three point shooting volumes. But the thing about Kendall Brown and his cutting is that it makes him so much more valuable of a player when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're really, when you're off the ball, the two biggest ways that you're going to contribute to your team are by getting open beyond the three-point line or getting open near the rim. And the easiest way to get open near the rim is to wait until defenses stop paying attention and cut to the rim. And that's the other thing about Brown and his intelligence on the basketball court that's really easy to see with his cutting. Like if defenses look away for a second, he knows where the lane to the rim is. And 
if there's any opportunity for him at all, he's hitting that lane to the rim as quickly as possible. And for reference on where he kind of ranks among the rest of the country, we, we keep saying that he's also, he's so incredible and he might be the best cutter in the country. Well, the numbers back that up too, where he's, he's in the 99th percentile in cutting with <laughs> 1.905 points per possession. And he cuts 20% of his possessions. So he's doing this all the time and he's essentially guaranteed a bucket when he does it. It's That's like 95% conversion rate on two point baskets. Yeah. It's, it's absurd. <laughs> it's it's absurd. in having that skill with to kind of compensate for his unproven, let's say outside shooting is so important because if, if he doesn't have that off ball movement, if he doesn't have that spatial and floor awareness, then he becomes so much more limited. And instead of talking about him as a top 10, top eight, top six, potentially uh, player, we're talking about top 20 and an intriguing kind of mid to late first round option. I mean, we just recently, by we, I mean, Corey recently released the draft rankings on no ceilings and Kendall Brown went from being back in the first round. Like I think he was 29th, if I'm remembering correctly to seventh. So yeah, that's, that's kind of a jump. And, you know, really the biggest reason for that jump is, you know, yes, he's had an incredibly impressive start to the college season, but it's this kind of skill development with the cutting in particular, that's like, you know, okay, that's something that it's very easy to see translating to the NBA, even if there are certainly questions to be had about the shot and how consistently he's going to be shooting at the next level. I mean, Certainly, he will have plenty of opportunities to cut to the basket, regardless of where he ends up playing basketball next season. So those are the kinds of opportunities that he'll be able to capitalize on, even if the shot is sort of a longer term project rather than something that is good on small volume now and could be good on medium volume in a year or two. Something that you mentioned that I I think is really important is how quickly he capitalizes on when his defenders turn their head. Um, There there are a couple clips in in my article that I used where Brown just completely embarrassed Gabe Brown from Michigan state because Gabe Brown would try and help off strong side corner or just get caught glancing at the ball for a second. And Kendall immediately cut baseline and finished with monstrous dunks. Like he does 90% of the time when he cuts. So it's just so rare. I feel that we get freshmen who have that, spatial awareness and situational awareness where they're watching the ball. They know what the lane looks like and they're reading what their defender is doing and how they're positioning themselves and where their attention is going. And then immediately knowing how to capitalize on that for an extremely easy bucket every time he does it. Yeah. One of the biggest cliches about the NBA as opposed to other levels of basketball is that it's so much faster. The speed of the game is so much faster and young players have to figure out how to read the game. And with some players, you can already sort of see them reading the game at a level that's, you know, better than their peers. And at this point, Kendall Brown has better court vision and seems to read the game better than, you know, a lot of first or second year NBA players, much less guys who are freshmen in college or freshman equivalents. And the the hope is that as he continues to develop that he's shown some flashes of this, but The hope is that that floor awareness and that ability to read the floor and the game stems then into his playmaking. And then as he cuts off ball, he can play out of the short roll and further playmaking transition. And that is the area of his game where I think that 
his kind of his awareness um i keep kind of overusing that word but his awareness really factors in and takes him to that next level where yes he's this awesome off-ball scoring threat but now he's also creating for others because of the gravity that his cutting and off-ball movement generate well and it's not just the volume that his cutting generates but it's also what it says about the rest of his game and what it says about his future development i mean it's easy to see how well he reads the floor through his cutting and when you think about that it's like okay you know, how long will it be until he's starting to really read defenses at the next level, you know, both in terms of on the offensive side, you know, breaking down opponents and making good passes. But, you know, also the flip side of that, his court awareness seems to the point where it's really easy to imagine him growing into, you know, maybe not an all defense level guy, but somebody who could be a seriously positive contributor on that end of the floor. You know, it's easy to see he clearly has the athletic tools. I mean, you see that every time he throws down a dunk, but if you look at the cutting numbers, you can see that kind of awareness of all 10 players on the court at once and where he needs to be. And that I think bodes really well for really the entirety of his game, but it's just easiest to see when you look at those cutting numbers because they're so far off the charts. I'm really fascinated that you brought up his defense because that's kind of the area of his game that I, I have the most trouble or maybe frustration with because and like you said, the the athletic tools are there. So I'm not really worried about his on-ball defense. It'd be nice if he started getting a few more rebounds or a few more blocks from the weak side. But I think a lot of that generates from him being just a step behind and more reactionary on the defensive end instead of anticipatory. I'm it, It's a weird juxtaposition because, like we've been talking about, on the offensive end, he's immediately going he knows exactly what move to make every single second of the shot clock but on the defensive end he's a step behind i i hope that that's more so the fact that he's just always been probably the best athlete on the floor in every game he's played with so he's never really had to bat- battle for rebounds or if he was a step late then that really doesn't matter when you're rotating to a 510 point guard who can't jump at all for a layup um so hopefully as he gets more experience, because that, that Baylor coaching staff is so good at coaching these guys up defensively now that as the season progresses, we start seeing that processing speed on the defensive end start to match what it looks like on the offensive end. Yeah, that's definitely the main thing that I'm going to be watching for with Brown the rest of the season, unless he decides to suddenly take 10 three-pointers a game and make 40% of them, <laughs> at which point you know, great. Who but, cares about the defense then? Exactly. <laughs> if you can do that, the defense doesn't matter. But yeah, the fact that he has three blocks all season, given how much yeah. of an athlete he is, is really surprising. And, you know, he does have a few steals. And I think that athleticism certainly comes into play when it comes to cutting off passing lanes. And certainly having watched a lot of Davion Mitchell, both last season and this season, Baylor has a pretty good defensive reputation. And, you know, obviously Kendall Brown is not a six foot point guard, but the athleticism combined with the fact that he is at least getting in passing lanes a little bit is encouraging, but three blocks on the season, just, it almost looks wrong when I look at it. Like there's, there's gotta be a couple that just weren't counted or something. And I, I I think some of that is the way that Baylor's team is kind of set up where Brown is almost playing more or defending more on the perimeter than inside because of Flo Thamba and Jonathan Chamochachua, who really kind of dominate the paint in that area but when they get dragged out to pick and rolls it would be nice to see brown be a little more active as that weak side rim protector because 
based on his physical gifts and his leaping ability and his strength, he should be a really impactful weak side rim protector. But that processing speed just isn't there yet. So theoretically, he should catch up to it based on what we see on the offensive end where he's a step ahead of everybody. But on on the defensive end, he's just that, that step behind. Yeah, well, I think that's the important point to mention here because, you know, I brought up Davion Mitchell and I'll go back to it a lot because it's fun to talk about Davion Mitchell. But very, very, very few rookies are even average on the defensive end yeah. at the NBA level. So I'm just less worried about Brown's defense because of his offensive awareness. I think because he's shown his intelligence on the basketball court on the offensive side of the ball, I feel like it's more of a he'll pick this up eventually as long as he has good coaching kind of thing rather than like he just isn't invested enough. Or, you know, the other thing is like, you expect the kinds of players who are good cutters to, I don't know, not be ball watchers on the defensive end, right? It's like, you know, this thing that works so well for me, the yeah. offensive end, and all of a sudden I'm getting the same thing done to me on the other end of the court. You know, the fact that he shows that kind of awareness makes me a little bit more positive about his defensive potential, but you're right in that there haven't been the kind of signs that you might've hoped for, especially given how impressive he's been on the offensive end and it'll definitely be worth watching his defense towards the latter portions of the season. So, so something I wanted to kind of circle back on is his shooting. And we mentioned it earlier that if you just look at the percentage, it's absolutely incredible. But then you look at the volume, it's like, eh, okay, well that, that, yeah. that doesn't add up yet. He's so shooting it, 50%. Yay. Yeah, He's five like, for 10. Oh, <laughs> exactly. So, in the NBA, if you're not shooting like that, if you if you aren't that legitimate shooter, those cutting lanes get a lot smaller and a lot more rare. So how real do you think that his cutting is going forward? And is it a legitimate tool that he really can use? Or does the shot really need to prove itself? Or is it even just if it's okay? Um, and just his general activity off ball um, should translate with without issue. I think it's absolutely a tool. And I think even if he might not have as much space as guys who are recognized more as threats from beyond the three-point line, I mean, you can run a lot of give-and-go plays with Kendall Brown. You can maybe run some short roll stuff with Kendall Brown pretty much right away. So I think that the cutting just makes it so much easier for him to be useful early on in his NBA career as an offensive player because there are some players who can't shoot and can't cut. And then it doesn't matter how wide the spaces you give them are because they're not going to notice those spaces. Right. So, you know, even if those windows are narrower, okay, maybe he doesn't score 1.9 points per possession on right. cuts to the rim. Maybe it's just 1.5, right. That's still exceptional offense. And so even if the windows are smaller and he has fewer opportunities, he's so good with those opportunities that I think that's just a baseline level of skill that he's going to have. Now, the flip side of that is something that we talk about all the time, which is volume of shots from three-point range matters almost as much to spacing, if not more, than your accuracy. Like the old Rajan Rondo principle of, okay, great, he shot 37% from three because he was left wide open and he took two of them right. per game, right? It's like, you know, that doesn't really help as much as someone who's 32% on five attempts per game. So I don't know. I mean, part of me is just like, why don't you shoot more of them? Kendall Brown, like what's what's the worst that's going to happen, right? It's like, it's not like the shots 
broken, right? We're talking about him as someone who we don't believe that he's a 50% three-point shooter because the volume isn't there. But I mean, I certainly believe he's more than like a 30% three-point shooter. And if that's the kind of trade-off that you're looking at, given how good of a cutter he is, I think he would be benefit by just taking three or four threes a game. But honestly, I think that's true of pretty much every prospect that doesn't have a completely broken jump shot. So I'm going to be a bit biased there, but I think just upping the volume a little bit, even if it causes the accuracy to crater, would probably ultimately benefit him. I, I think that's a really good point because we're even starting to see some defenses be a little more eager to help off him strong side and really kind of just leave him out there where it's like, okay, if you're going to shoot, shoot, prove it to us. But I, I, I agree with you that I, I do think he will be above that 30% threshold in the long run. I think early on, it, it might be a little more difficult if we actually see him start taking them. Um, but his mechanics are just a little inconsistent. Again, more reps, that helps iron those things out. You find that form, you tweak a couple things, and then you repetition, 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 and then you figure it out and it improves. So I, I I tend to agree with you that the the cutting has been so effective and so consistent and so precise when he does it that I would be shocked if it isn't a tool at the next level. I do think he's going to have to be a little more willing and eager to shoot um, from the outside when when the ball does get swung to him and not try to attack these short closeouts every time. Something that you also mentioned was using him out of the short role. And according to Synergy, he has been used as the role man zero times this year. That might also be a little skewed because Synergy is based on how the play finishes. But I wish that was a role that we would see a little more from him because he has shown those passing flashes. And if he's able to start showing consistent playmaking passing and reading the defense out of the short role... Then once he does that, I think that makes his whole trajectory even more fascinating. And that's the other thing with, you know, all of the cutting and offensive influence stuff is really it comes down to, you know, as you were mentioning earlier, like how much can he get away with without shooting, right? And so passing is another avenue for that. You know, if he gets to the point where he's someone who you can rely upon to make decisions with the ball in his hands, whether that's as a secondary guy or, you know, maybe even as a primary guy, if enough of the starters are on the bench, really it's just about how many avenues to success are there for him and passing is one and shooting is one. And of course, if you add all those things together, you know, then he goes from being like top half of the lottery prospect to top three kind of prospect, you know, but I think with the short roll passing, and this is a cop-out, but it depends heavily on the situation. I mean, if he ends up on, say, a team that I watch a ton, the Sacramento Kings, right? He's probably more of a wing player. He's probably spending more time on the perimeter, whereupon the shot becomes a lot more important. Whereas if he goes to, I don't know, let's say Houston, you know, if they put him at the four a decent amount and have the future Hall of Famer Alperin Shangun in the pivot or have Usman Garuba at center. You know, there are a lot of options for Kendall Brown in his development going forward. And I think the importance of shooting development versus passing development for him at the NBA level will depend heavily on where he ends up. 
Over the course of the rest of this season, I think it's a lot more likely that we see him taking a few more three-pointers per game than him getting more heavily involved in the Baylor offense as a short roll guy, especially since he's finished zero of those plays so far this season, as you already pointed out. And they seem really comfortable and entrenched with that Thamba, Chama Chachua center rotation where those guys are just real bruisers, good rollers, good screen setters. So I, I would be kind of surprised if the number one team in the country starts really implementing this freshman who's never really been used as a screener, as their primary screener. Uh, but even just like late in games when they start blowing out some of these teams, it would just be nice. It, I would love to see them at least try it because I, I think he's shown some of the passing flashes that are really intriguing for someone of his size, athleticism, and position, but it's mostly been in kind of transition or coming off DHOs and stuff. Uh, one of the clips I used in that article was it, uh, him flashing from the left dunker spot and his point guard got doubled on the right wing. He flashed from the dunker spot to the free throw line. Point guard found him. Brown immediately turns and tries to hit a, a a bounce pass to his center on the block, but his processing speed was so much faster than the defending center that the defending center was able to just pick it off. It's the right read, but he was just so much quicker that he expected the uh, the defender to be making the same read and doing the same thing that he was doing. So as that as the game kind of slows down for him. I, I think those flashes are there and it's kind of an untapped potential um, part of his game that I'm not sure we're going to really get to fully realize or get to fully appreciate until he, like you said, f en ends up in a proper situation in the NBA. Yeah, this was something that I noticed while writing my Jaime Jaquez article last week, but this season he started posting up a lot more and it's been really effective. And that I think is something that will be super useful for him at the NBA level, because if you put a smaller guard on him and you can put that guy in the rim, you know, those are, those are easy buckets, right? And especially if Kendall Brown does end up on the wing early on in his NBA career, he's going to be bigger and stronger than a lot of those guys, even as a rookie. And so if he gets more opportunity with the ball in his hands, late in games, you know, creating plays out of the short roll is one thing, creating passes out of the post is another thing, but I think it's more likely, given that Baylor is as good as they've been this year, it, I think it's more likely that he gets, you know, a couple post-touches a game rather than, okay, we're going to run the offense through him in the post. And, you know, similarly to why I thought about it with Jaquez, is like, okay, this is a team that's competing for a national championship. You know, they're not going to basically waste developmental opportunities because they think that this dude might be a lottery pick or might be a first round pick. Right. But the flip side of that is, you know, if you are late in blowouts, why not just throw in the ball in the post a few times, see what he can do with it. Why not just run him off the screens at the three point line? Because the difference between that and something like making him a short roll playmaker right away is that's the kind of thing that can benefit Baylor sooner rather than later. Right. Like if he starts taking three, three pointers a game and he's still at like the 40% mark, that opens up Baylor's offense for this season. So that's a development avenue that I think is a lot more likely than just, hey, we're going to try you out in these short roll situations, see how you do with it. And if you fail, it's no big deal. It's not like we're trying to win the national championship or anything. And, and to kind of further prove your point, and he's posted up once this season and ran off of a screen, uh, ran off screens once. So it's like a little more variety in how they use him would be. I think really encouraging and really helpful to his development. 
I know Baylor's trying to go back to back as national champions, and you know currently they're in a good spot to do that. I'm just hoping it's them, you know, trying to ease him into roles and into this role, primary role as on the number one team in the country, and not them pigeonholing him as a guy who's only allowed to cut, only allowed to run in transition, and only allowed to spot up because that doesn't do the player any good. It doesn't do, like you said, I don't think it does Baylor's offense any good in the long run because he has shown these flashes of versatility and ways to impact the offense in a lot of different ways. So if they can start feeding him some of those opportunities, at least late in games, late in these blowouts, I think it'll add a whole new dimension to his game as a prospect and then to Baylor's offense and just make them that much more difficult to scout and prepare for. To be fair, though, he's made them a lot more difficult to scout and prepare for just by how he's been so far this season. I mean, we mentioned it at the top, but, you know, cutting alone is not the reason why he's climbed from fringe of the first round to pretty clearly cemented lottery prospect at this point. Yeah, and I I think another place where we kind of see how effective and dangerous he is is that transition offense. And 41% of his possessions have been transition, and he's in the 92nd percentile scoring. Yeah, that ain't bad either. <laughs> no, and it's just another – it's similar to the cutting where it's he knows exactly how to fill his lane. He's eager to get out in the open court, and once he gets going to the rim, he has the power to finish through guys. He has the agility to Euro step around them and then finish with – with a reverse layup. So it, it's just a really unique and kind of fascinating skill set and finishing arsenal combined with his, you know, really freak athleticism. Yeah. His freak athleticism really helps him out in transition, but he, you know, he just also makes smart reads in transition anyway. And I think that the combination of his transition and cutting just gives him such a high floor offensively at the NBA level, because I mean, no matter what team you're on, there will always be opportunities to back cut your defender, right? There will always be at least a few, hopefully a few opportunities to run out in transition every game. And so, you know, that's where you look at with Brown. Okay. He's got such a strong baseline established. And then that's where we start talking about things like, okay, can he up his three point volume? Okay. Can he make more passes in the short role? Can he get more opportunities in the short role? You know, he will have so many different avenues to playing time in the NBA just based on the floor of his offensive capabilities. And then the question of what he can be as a prospect is really just what he can do beyond what he already does. And I I think something that I I don't want to say that we're not appreciating enough, but is that his age kind of combined with the role that he played growing up and the role that he's really accepted now at Baylor, where for a freshman to show this level of kind of selflessness as this off ball scorer and be incredibly effective at it because of what he does, not necessarily teammates passing him open or just spotting up and hitting wide open catch and shoot threes. It's his timing and athleticism and ability to finish in different ways around the rim, whether it's over guys, whether it's, doing a shot fake and pivoting and finishing with a little baby hook. It's all just, it's, it points to a really mature game and approach to the game from a pure freshman, which is, I think really encouraging for how he will fit in pretty much any NBA rotation going forward. 
I'm really glad that you brought that up because this is something that you touched on at the top that I want to sort of circle back to is just the element of the fact that he's creating so many of these opportunities for himself. Like usually when we talk about self-creation, it's in terms of guys like Trey Mann who create tons of room with their step backs or Jaden Hardy, who's someone who we both recently talked about with Tyler Rucker, Mm -hmm. who that's really the strong benefit for him is he can create a lot of separation on his shots, right? We don't talk as much about self-created offense when it comes to non-jump shots, but Kendall Brown really excels at that. And cutting is just the easiest way to highlight that, I think. Yeah, and it it obviously leads to him getting a bunch of easy points and making highlight reels. But it also does wonders for his teammates because when they get doubled, he's not just standing there twiddling his thumbs like, oh, you'll figure it out or someone else will move and help you out. It's, oh, look, there's a pocket of space. Let me cut to it, get the ball, and eat, and then attack. Or look at this lane. They can make a little pocket pass to beat the double, and now I'm dunking over the late weak side rotation. So creating for himself, yes, but also helping out his teammates and bailing them out of bad situations that they dribble in, that, that's always going to happen for forever going forward Mm -hmm. and the fact that he has that awareness and it's quick it's decisive it's precise there there isn't any hesitation from him when that double goes he he moves and vacates that space and makes himself available for you know a pass and a bailout for his teammates where he can then create with a shovel pass to a teammate or finish at the rim something that a lot of NBA analysts say, but I always remember Danny LaRue being the one who says it is one dribble and a good decision. And Kendall Brown is really good at one dribble and a good decision. You get him the ball, he's either going to make the right pass, or if he's got an opportunity to you know, drive to the basket, he's going to do that. And if he gets a little bit better as a shooter, then that opens even more good decisions for him. But you know, the key point with him is he's already making so many good decisions that it's easy to see that once he flushes out his game a little bit more, he'll have even more opportunities to make those kinds of positive impact decisions with the ball in his hands or without the ball in his hands, as we see with his cutting. Yeah. And I, I almost, the way he plays, I almost feel like that could be the title of his autobiography, just <laughs> one dribble and a good decision, the Kendall Brown story, because and that, that's what he is. It's, he's not going to, yeah. he, he has shown some, some impressive ball handling in the open court, not a ton in the half court, it's a little sloppy at times, but when he cuts and is on his way to the rim, makes that one dribble, and then it's, like you said, a pass or a score almost every time. And it, it's rare that he's making the wrong decision. All right. Anything else you want to discuss here before we wrap things up? Um, I don't think so. Uh, just subscribe to No Ceilings. We have awesome stuff all the time. Go check out that Kendall Brown piece. It's a lot of fun to watch or to write, and he's a really fun player to watch. So if you haven't checked him out, go absolutely go watch the number one team in the country. They're a lot of fun, and he's a big reason why. All right. Well, he is Tyler Metcalf. You can find him on Twitter at T M E T C A L F one one. And of course, on No Ceilings and hashtag basketball. You can find me on Twitter at N B A J O H N S O N. You can also find my work on No Ceilings. And I also recently had a game recap article go up for Nets Republic if you want to check that out. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. Always much appreciated on our end. 
we will be off next week for the holidays, but we will be coming back strong in 2022. 2021 has been a really awesome year for this podcast. So really grateful to all of you out there who've been listening. And if you have any feedback on the podcast, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email, nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.